Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, columnist at the Wall Street Journal, Pia Catton, and tonight's guest, Misty Copeland. Hello. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming. Wow, this is a great crowd. So we're going to start off today with Misty reading from the book. Yes. So <laughs> this is from a very um, early point in the book and in my career as a dancer. The day after mommy told me I would have to quit ballet, Cindy was waiting for me in front of the school, rifling through her organizer, looking up from time to time to see if I'd appeared. I opened the car door and got in beside her. I'm going to have to stop dancing, I blurted out before breaking down into tears. My mother says that the studio's too far, that it's too much, that I'm missing out on time with my friends and family. Perhaps she would have been better able to understand if, like many concerned parents of ballerinas, my mother had been worried about my struggling schoolwork or fatigue. But this excuse seemed flimsy, even to me. Cindy looked as though she'd forgotten how to breathe. Her eyes were wide and glistening. We sat there for a few minutes, silent. Well then, she finally said, at least I can drive you home. I was too tired to protest, too grief-stricken to guard my secret. I gave her my address. We were quiet in the car. I tried to imagine what would fill the space that ballet had occupied, and I kept coming up empty. Finally, Cindy pulled to a stop. Staring at the rundown motel where my family was living, she looked as stunned as she had when I told her that I couldn't dance with her anymore. Thanks for the ride, I whispered as I hurried out of the car. Upstairs, I fumbled for the room key and entered the living room, blankets rolled up near the spots where they would later be unfurled as makeshift beds. I'm sure mommy didn't believe she was being neglectful. After all, we hadn't always lived that way, with pallets on the floor. We hadn't always called a motel with a lobby window to slide our rent check through home. We didn't always sleep around the corner from a highway lined with liquor stores and sketchy taco joints. But that's how we live now. That's what Cindy saw. There was a knock on the door. Mommy, who'd been in the bedroom with Alex, came out and opened it. Cindy stood there tentatively. I could feel the tension building in the small space, a nearly tangible thing. I just wanted to disappear. She met my eyes where I sat withdrawn on the floor. I believe that she knew this was it. She either brought me with her that night and into the world she believed I was born to be a part of, or I would never dance again. The two women huddled a while, talking softly, crying too. Mommy made it very clear that she had five other children. I was not, nor could I be, the center of her universe. I knew that, but I needed to be that to someone. I can't leave her, Cindy said, tears streaming down her face. I want Misty to come live with me. Then Mommy sighed and looked around the crowded motel room, and she let me go. So Misty, at that point in your life, you were only 13 years old, yes. and you had to make this decision. Tell us a little about what was going on with your life before you encountered ballet, and how you encountered it, and what was it about this art form that made you say, okay, I will commit to it? I have to admit that when I made the commitment and sacrificed everything to be a part of this um, art form, I had no idea what I was really committing to. 
I just knew at 13 years old that I finally found a place where I felt like I belonged and that I had a voice. Um, my life before ballet was pretty ordinary. I'm one of six kids. Um, we didn't always have a lot of money, but we loved each other. We fought a lot. My brother's in the audience, and he can attest to that. <laughs> um, we were pretty, pretty average. Um, I wasn't a part of any uh, structured sports or arts in any way. I was just in my public school hiding, trying not to be seen and not having to speak because I was just so shy and nervous all the time. Um, and when I was introduced to ballet at 13, it was just this instant connection. And I felt that I could really say something. And you, you were able to make that connection through your drill team. And yes. Can you describe what that is yeah. and how your <laughs> teachers connected you together? Yes. Uh, the drill team was a dance team in my middle school, and um, I loved moving. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was creating movement in my bedroom to anything that would come on the radio. You're a big Mariah Carey Mariah fan. Mariah Carey, yes. Um, a lot of Mariah Carey I was creating to George Michael. Uh, so when I for some reason felt that I had this small bit of confidence uh, to audition for the drill team. And I made sure I was auditioning for captain, not just to be a part of the team, which was not, that was not something that I normally did in my life, like step outside of my comfort zone and do something where I was um, being put out in front of people. Uh, but I, I auditioned and they made me captain. Uh, and the drill team coach, Elizabeth Cantine, uh, saw something in me immediately. Uh, she saw an ability that I had, um, my body proportions, and she thought, you are a ballerina. And I want to introduce you to someone who's giving a free ballet class at the Boys and Girls Club that you already attend. So uh, I was not at all interested in ballet. But um, after about a week of hiding out in the back of this ballet class on the basketball court, uh, the teacher, Cynthia Bradley, uh, pulled me on, and I took my first class in socks and shorts and a T-shirt. And from there, you had this meteoric rise. By 19 years old, you were in the core of American Ballet Theater. So that is a very difficult transition. It's a difficult transition for any dancer to, to make that and to go from being an amateur into being professional. Tell us about that time, because that also seems like a huge change. You're moving from California to New York, which is hard enough as it is. Yeah. Um, I don't think that I realized how difficult it was and how much you have to be an adult uh, when you're a professional. Uh, it all hit me kind of at once, moving to New York, uh, realizing I was the only African-American woman in the company of 80 dancers. Um, it, it was just a, a lot thrown at me, and I definitely had my, my low points of just feeling completely alone and lost and, and dealing with um, you know my body changing all of a sudden at 19 years old, which is a very late age for someone to experience going through puberty. Um, it was it was extremely difficult. <laughs> and you had, unfortunately, you had an injury at, at one point, and you were able to go back home. Did that kind of reset things for you? Uh, I had um, a stress fracture to my lower um, back when I was 19 years old, and I was just given a core contract with the company, and I had to take a year off. Uh, and I went back home and... <laughs> Well, let's just describe a little bit for the audience, too. I mean, what kinds of roles were you doing? And when you're in the core, what are you given to do? And what is your experience like at that stage in your career? 
Yes, when you're in the court of ballet, you pretty much have to be ready to do anything. Um, I was dancing in every uh, second act, white ballet, um, Swan Lake and the Bayadere and Giselle, and uh, learning all the choreography of the contemporary works, especially because I was so capable of moving in that type of movement. I was learning almost every principal role when it came to those ballets. Um, on top of trying to take any opportunity I could if uh, a guest choreographer approached me and said I want to work with you so I was kind of taking all of these things at once and um, and it was just too much on my body and I ended up getting a fracture in my back um, I went home and just hung out for the first time ever as a teenager I got my driver's license I you know I was just it was I was a normal person for once and I don't think I really understood um, all that was at stake in New York and that I was missing out on so when you came back to New York you you were over the injury, your body had started to change. At what point did you say, all right, I really have to focus and work in a different way, um, maybe sharpen up or do this or do that differently? Just walk us through that next process because that also seemed like a new challenge. Yeah, I mean, I've learned some, I've had so many extreme injuries throughout my career and I've learned so much from each of them. But that one um, specifically was a huge shift for me. Uh, the company was treating me a little bit differently. I was no longer this um, extremely capable, ideal ballerina. I had transformed into a woman and I didn't know how to take care of my body along with this injury. So it was almost like I was rebelling at the time and just trying to find my place. Uh, and it was, it was really hard. I mean, I felt like I was kind of like sinking for a while. Um, and it wasn't until I had uh, one of my first mentors come into my life and kind of help keep me on track. But you're alone in a, co in a professional company. They're not there to baby you and to nurture you. And it, it, you have to find that on your own. And one of the things you detail quite a bit in the book is that diet became a huge part for you and that nutrition was something that you really had to learn about. But let's hear the Krispy Kreme story. <laughs> For those of you who haven't read the book, um, yeah, it was it was very difficult for me. Um, that wasn't something that I was ever taught how to nurture my body with food. I always could eat whatever I wanted to. Uh, so when it came time to take care of my body, I had to just kind of reassess everything. And it was around that time that I was being told by the company that I needed to lengthen. Um, to lose weight and it was really hard to hear that at 19 years old and you're alone and there's no support around you um, so again I, I was rebelling and I was doing the exact opposite so I would it's such an intimate story I know it's in the book but <laughs> to talk about it I, you know I was I was coming home at night and just feeling so bad about myself and I would call Krispy Kreme and they told me they only deliver to, um, to like big corporations. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm a corporation. Can I have two dozen donuts? And they'd drop them off and I would eat a dozen donuts in one sitting. And that kind of went on for a while where I was overeating because I felt so bad about myself. And it, it took a while for me to kind of get out of that rut of going into the studio every morning, staring at myself and feeling awful, and then doing it again at night. What was it, though, that got you out of that mindset? 
again, it was it was people that entered my life. I think Victoria Rowell was one of the first ladies that came into my life that really helped to guide me. Uh, she used to dance. She was in the studio company of American Ballet Theater, and then she went on to be a very uh, successful actress. Um, but she was someone that came into my life at the exact right time that was like, you can do this. You just have to understand how to take care of yourself. And uh, I think I started to look at food differently and more of fuel than um, just sort of empty calories that I enjoyed the taste of. And let's talk about another person who came into your life, Prince, which was very exciting. Um, Let's just talk about his role in your life and how that came about and what you've done on stage for his concerts and for him. Um, Yeah, Prince also came into my life at at a time where I feel like I was very um, open to accepting guidance. And I think that that's something that you really have to be vulnerable and open to. Or these people will just kind of pass by and and they don't enter your life when they should be. Uh, And Prince came uh, into my life, I think I was around 27. I'm 31 now. And uh, he thought I was extremely talented and uh, wanted me to dance in one of his music videos, which I thought was odd. Um, So when I met him, um, I saw this incredible human. I didn't know him as Prince, this big star. I met him and I spent a lot of time with him as an individual. Um, And I learned so much about myself and about, again, just being even more vulnerable. I think to, in order to grow as an artist, you really have to um, have that side of yourself be open. But I went on to perform with him um, throughout France. And then he created his Welcome to America tour around me. And we ended up performing at Madison Square Garden and at the Forum. Uh, Yeah, it was an incredible experience, a completely different experience from getting to know him as this person and then stepping on stage with him. Those were a different type of nerves that I'd never experienced at the Metropolitan Opera House. Let's talk about some of your best roles that you've enjoyed the most and you've gotten the most out of. And maybe let's start with Firebird, which is such an important ballet and is a huge point in your career. Yeah. um, Getting the opportunity, when I learned of uh, being cast... No, I, was, I learned of being, being told that I would learn the part, which happens a lot. I've learned many principal roles throughout my career, uh, and it's an honor to be in that position and go through the process of learning choreography, but you don't always get to perform it. Um, so when I learned I would be learning Firebird, I was so excited, and I knew that I was going to take on this character as if I was going to perform it, even though I didn't know for sure. Um, and it's also rare... Uh, at this point in someone's career after, I think it was 12, 11 years that I'd been in the company when I was given this opportunity. Um, it's very rare at that point that you're given the really the first principal role. Uh, if you don't get it in that first maybe three or four year window, it doesn't really ever happen. So I knew that this was my moment to really, to really bring it <laughs> in this role. Um, and I just approached it with just the such intensity uh, and so by the time it led up to my premiere in New York City, it was there was so much fire inside of me waiting to come out. And there was a picture of you. You were the face of American Ballet Theater for quite some time. Let's just, uh, maybe you could just tell the audience about seeing yourself in that giant banner in front of the Metropolitan Opera House. Well, how did you feel when you saw that? 
Um, I had no idea that was going to happen. Uh, I did the photo shoot and I saw the pictures and I was like, wow, that's amazing the f that I'm like, they chose me to be the photograph that usually is sent out to, you know, in the mail. Um, but I was, um, it was the first night, opening night of our season at the Metropolitan Opera House in the spring. And, um, and my manager, Gilda, was waiting for me outside and I walked out and, um, and I looked up and I saw that the whole front of the Met was covered and this woman with her breasts out and arched back and I was like, oh my gosh, that's a curvy black woman on the front of the Met and it's me. <laughs> and I just, it, we both cried because it meant so much more than just like, oh my God, there's my face on the side. But it meant so much for the African American community to feel welcome in that space. Well, let's talk a little about race and ballet. Um, this is a subject that you've been very active about and you're helping American Ballet Theater with their new initiative, Project Plie. Um, tell us about your experience in ballet. I was very grateful that um, Rachel Moore, the CEO of American Ballet Theater, came to me uh, with this idea of Project Plie because she knew that I had firsthand experience in it. And it's helpful to hear the negative, the positive, to really understand what minorities experience in, in such a you know, fine art form. Um, my experience, you know, it's been really difficult to exist by yourself, um, but for me, it's been harder to hear the stories of other dancers who come to me and share their experiences. Um, young dancers who have been told to do modern dance or hip hop because it will be easier for them or by the time they, you know, they spend their entire childhood training, the chances of them getting into a top ballet company are really small, so they're told to do something else. Um, and that's just kind of motivated me to use this platform to, to bring it to a broader audience and to show these young dancers that I'm here, and so it's opening doors for them as well. Why do you think that there are so many more men of color than women of color in ballet? It's, yeah, my experience is that I just think that the woman completely represents what ballet is, and it's not the man, for once. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's easier to, number one, we just always need men in ballet and in dance, so um, we're going to take the, the talent we can get no matter what color they are. Um, but for a woman, she's really representing this historic, traditional art form that has always been a white woman. Um, so it's, it's difficult for people to see something else in that position, as well as I, I don't think that um, the training is accessible to every community from a young enough age to get them to the point to get into these elite companies. And that's a lot about what Project Plie is That is, is a lot about, about yes. Okay. ABT.org. <laughs> Looking to the future. Okay, so uh, are we ready for questions? Everybody got some questions out there? Hi. Um, I was just wondering, what does your daily schedule look like being a part of American Ballet Theater? Yeah. Being, yes, being a part of ABT is a full-time job. And um, a, a typical day is ballet class at 10.15. It goes to 11.45. We have a 15-minute break. 
Um, and then we rehearse from 12 to 7 p.m. We normally have a lunch break from 3 to 4, but most of the time we don't. So you've, you're constantly eating snacks. That's just during a rehearsal period. But performance, it's even more intense. We're, we're in class at 10. Um, we're doing a spacing. We're doing a tech rehearsal. We're doing a full run of the show. We get a small break for dinner, and then we do the show. So it's, it's nonstop. Oh, hi. Um, what is your favorite ballet and why? Um, I've been saying La Bayadere a lot lately, which I love, but I'm going to say Coppelia because I'm about to do it. Um, <laughs> and I ha I'm like obsessed with it right now. Every morning I wake up and I watch the videos of Paloma doing it. Um, I'm still a bunhead even to this day. I, I'm premiering Swan Ilda in two weeks in Abu Dhabi. So that's like all I'm focused on. So Coppelia right now. Hello. Hi. Um, everywhere I dance, I'm known as the little bit. What advice would you give to a small dancer? I'm small too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I understand. Uh, I, you can't even think about that. You have to dance so, so much bigger than everyone around you and not think about, I mean, there are ways of using the mirror and making yourself look, look bigger if you want like specifics. <laughs> Um, there, there are just ways of using your portabra and your upper body that really make you look longer. Even if you were, are you a ballet dancer? Okay. Even if you were standing in a B plus, that you would, you would. <laughs> so you would instead of shortening it this way, you would really make it much longer, so that it creates like a really long line rather than just everything you do has to. You have to really use the mirror and make yourself look as long as possible. But it, it's I'm five two and I'm there so. Hi. So Hi. I started ballet as a late, in a, sorry, as, what is the word? At a late age, like you. So what are some challenges you experienced starting later? Um, the challenges I experienced from only four years of training <laughs> and becoming a professional was that there were, there are no shortcuts in the ballet technique. And there was so so many there were so many holes in my and gaps in my in my technique that I'm still to this day learning about. But I think as as dancers we never stop learning and improving and reassessing our technique. But um, it was kind of going back and just understanding the real the real basics of what I was doing. And it wasn't about just like hitting a pose and kicking my leg up, but like the quality of getting there um, that I'm still learning. <laughs> Hey, Misty. Hi. Uh, just wanted to know if there was any differences in mental prep from your normal ABT performances to the performances with Prince. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the mental prep that goes into doing a full-length ballet and preparing to be a character is so intense. Um, and just understanding um, how to translate the choreography into telling a story the mental um, strength that it takes to be a classical dancer is it, it's intense um, now with Prince preparing for a show or with TLC preparing for that is more about I think just not getting too overexcited <laughs> um, and getting so like hyped up that you're not like grounded it's easier in your, the space that you're comfortable with to like breathe and get grounded before a show but I've had experiences with doing these shows where the you know you're not used to going onto the stage as a classical dancer and having the audience like Wah! 
And so it gets you that way too. But when you're in the theater, you know, you step out and it's calm and, and you earn your applause by showing them. So um, yeah, breathing and, and calming down. Hello, Misty. Hi. My name is Aja. Uh, I'm 20 years old. I've been dancing for many years. And it wasn't until recently when I began to j enjoy ballet as much as I enjoy modern and hip hop. In, um, I'm from Philadelphia and I went to a performing arts high school. And in that high school, every single dancer didn't view ballet as much as modern or hip hop. They saw it more as the foundation and they were like, oh, it's something we have to do. More as a chore rather than an enjoyment. So I just want to know what's your opinion on how, how we can make it more enjoyable for African-American communities. I, yeah, I mean, I think it's exposing, exposing and educating them on what it is and showing, showing them the beauty of so many ballets. I think people have a misconception, or maybe it's just their opinion, that ballet is slow and it's boring and it's all of these things. But I think if you educate our community on all the incredible parts and what it takes to be a ballerina. If you show them that we're doing just as much or more training as a football player or a basketball player, they would really understand and be able to, I think, connect to it more. But I think it's just about exposing them to it. And if, I mean, it's a matter of opinion. If you don't like it, you don't like it. So you can't force someone to like it, but educating them and exposing them will give them an opportunity to make that decision. Hi, Misty, how are you? Hi, I'm good. All right, so you faced a ton of adversity, you've overcome it all, and you've accomplished so much. At this point in your career, what is your driving force, and what is it that's keeping you going every single day? Uh, I, well, the thing is, I have so much more I want to accomplish. So uh, I think that as a ballet dancer, you're constantly being pushed to kind of stay on top of your game. And, um, you know, with so many younger dancers that continue to come into the company, it's like you have to keep up with them. I mean, every generation gets better. And uh, so that's constantly like pushing me. And I just love what I do. And I think as dancers, we're constantly striving for perfection. And that's never going to happen. So it's just going to keep us going and going. Uh, but, you know, I have so many new roles coming up that I'm excited about, so that's keeping me motivated. And of course, being a principal dancer, that's my number one goal. Hi, Misty. Hi. Um, I was wondering if you could ever see another African-American female becoming a soloist or even a principal dancer in MBT? Yes. <laughs> I think... Um, I, that was a fear of mine for a long time that I wasn't sure if it would ever happen. Um, but I think that this platform that I have and opening up a conversation is, is making the ballet world have to address it. And I think that's the first step and something that um, the ballet world is really hidden from because no one's really forcing them to talk about it. Uh, so yes, I do. <laughs> Hi, Misty. Hi. Hi. First, I want to say happy birthday because we have the same birthday. But um, <laughs> my question is, how did you get through your injury? I've been injured. Like, I've hurt my ACL before. I just want to know, like, how did you work through it and what did you do to overcome um, that injury? The most recent injury I had was 
like a year ago and I had surgery and it was probably one of the most like difficult things I've had to deal with um, at this point in my career. Um, I was giving an interview or earlier and I was talking about all that it takes to prepare for a surgery or uh, you know just you have to have your body in tip-top shape no matter what injury you have so you have to find ways of working around whatever that injury is for me um, I had six stress fractures in my tibia and I knew I was going into surgery to have a plate screwed in so uh, preparing for that I was swimming I was doing Pilates mat classes I was doing floor bar classes I was uh, just constantly moving in a way that wasn't going to hurt myself because going into a surgery or something like that you should be in the best shape possible uh, and then as soon as I was given the go ahead and I could take that cast off I was doing all the same things I think mentally it's healthy for you as well just to keep the body moving especially as dancers mentally I think it helps us to heal Hi, Misty. Hi. Really enjoyed your remarks. Um, Thank congratulations you. on your endorsement deal with Under Armour. I was just wondering if you could comment, number one, on um, how did that make you feel personally? And then second, do you feel such deals opened the door for other women of color for companies like Under Armour? Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, it's amazing to be recognized uh, as a dancer, as a ballerina, that they finally I feel like are recognizing us for the hard work that it takes and the athleticism um, and that we're being put up there on the same level as these professional athletes that everyone knows about. I do think it's going to open up doors for women of color and I think it's so powerful that they chose a ballerina, a black ballerina and a muscular athletic ballerina. So um, I'm so honored to have this opportunity. Thank you guys so much for coming. This was great. Great turnout for Misty. Thanks Thank again. Thank you.